I wanted to come and, and speak uh, in relation to our country because uh, there's a great deal of misunderstanding about the United States of America. I'm not an expert per se about America, but I come from East Germany, as most of you know, and uh, from the communist part, of course, and so I have a great appreciation for the United States of America. I thank God every day for letting me get out from behind there in Curtin and um, letting me live in America. And when I came uh, back in 1953 already, February 8th to be precise, um, I was barely a teenager and uh, I attended church with my relatives, not being able to speak a single word in English. We had to learn Russian where I went to school. Uh, they didn't, didn't let anybody learn English. Later on, they did uh, teach English. If you got an A in Russian, then you got to take English for an uncredit. But uh, I came and I attended Grace Baptist Church, which is the mother church here, located in downtown Springfield. And the pastor there met me at the church door. He had learned several sentences in German, and he welcomed me. Manfred, welcome to Grace Baptist Church. I'm Pastor David Nettleton. I hope you feel at home, something like that. And I was impressed from the very start. Long story short, uh, Pastor Nettleton became the uh, director of Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa. And years later, when I finished my education here and back in Germany, West Germany, he asked me if I would be willing to teach at, would I be willing, would I consider teaching at Faith? And it took me a long time to answer because I was working through some, I had to take a French exam and Hebrew and Greek, you know, Dallas Seminary required that. And then when I had that out of the way, I wrote him a letter. I said, yes, I'm willing to consider it. Two days later, he called. He said, will you come up in Iowa, just north of Des Moines, and can you, will you meet with the board? And that was in 69, and I've been, I taught there from 69 to 99, but I always enjoy being in churches where the word is taught and where Christ is honored. And I, I will always consider this my home church, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here. I thought we would have two messages. The first one, why God has blessed America, and then the second one, what can we do in the morning service? What can we do for America? You have on page one of your manuscript a diagram like this showing the world and the fact that America is unique, unusual, and unparalleled. Rush Limbaugh and others call that, and rightly so, American exceptionalism. Notice which country I have at the top of the list, my home country, but compared to the United States, uh, other countries just don't measure up. When I left East Germany, I lived for a year in West Germany, and before I got on the boat to come to North America, I heard a man say to, man, to the individual with whom I stayed, the family, you know, this boy is going to America. America isn't all it used to be. So I thought, what am I getting into? Because 
They didn't teach us anything about America except negative in the communist schools. But I found out when I came to America that if America has gone downhill, and it probably has through the years, it was from up here down to here, when other countries went from here down to here. So there's no comparison. I have four unique features. Actually, there are many more why America has been uniquely blessed of God. These four reasons are based on a passage of scripture on which I base a major premise, and then from America's heritage, a minor premise with hopefully very cogent conclusion. The first passage of scripture, and you may want to turn over to page two in your manuscript, is found in Exodus chapter 20. Now, you are well conversant in scripture, right? You know that's the Ten Commandments. Does anybody know where the other listing of the Ten Commandments is found? Isn't this Sunday school so I can ask some questions? Deuteronomy chapter five, right? You can check it out, but the Ten Commandments were given to Israel and they ceased when Christ was nailed on the cross. But in the introduction to the Ten Commandments, there's a timeless principle. In verse four, God said to Israel, and remember Israel had just come out of Egypt. They were the, tw they were the 12 tribes of Jacob. They were camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. Now they were being fused into a nation. With the law, Israel became a nation. And Moses gave them the Ten Commandments, which God had inscribed in tablets of stone. These are the beginning words of the Ten Commandments. But as Israel began as a nation, and other people began as nations, there's this timeless principle. If a nation begins with a group of idolaters, those who hate God, then God said he would punish them to the third and fourth generation. But if a nation begins with the godly nucleus, then what? I will show mercy unto thousands of them. Thousands what? People who live at the time? A thousand people? No. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 9, you, which I have at the end of the first paragraph there, the word generation is used. God made a promise that if a nation begins with a godly nucleus, God is going to bless them to a thousand generations. Okay, let me submit to you that this is why God is still blessing America today. Not because of what we are necessarily today, but because of what we were in our beginning. Israel then started their trek through the wilderness as a 12 tribes at Mount Sinai that became a nation. And God said, if you begin with the godly nucleus, I'll bless you to a thousand generations. What happened? Most of the Israelites were not saved. In the epistle to the Hebrews, we read, they all died of an what? Evil heart of unbelief, okay? So Israel didn't qualify, but 
it just so happened that our nation did qualify. So reason number one, and I'll spend just a couple minutes illustrating that, God has blessed us because of the godly character of our founding fathers. Our history is mostly an English history. Back in the 16th century, Bloody Mary got rid of heresy in her kingdom by getting rid of the heretics. There was incredible religious persecution, but it wasn't under a Catholic that our pilgrim fathers left England. In northern England, the town of Scrooby, I've taken a good number of groups to Europe on a Reformation country. My cousin Evelyn is here, my chauffeur, while I'm here, and she's been with me up to northern England. Remember, Scrooby, a church, uh, 1348, an incredibly delightful place where time seems to have stood still. The church key is this big, and people in town leave it for me, so if they're not home, I get to go to their back porch and get the church key and then some beautiful prints of the church. But this is where our forefathers worshiped, the main congregation that came from Scrooby. Most English people never heard about it, let alone Americans, unless they studied our history. And then the last few times I've been on to Europe, we take the boat right from Hall up here rather than coming down here and take it to Holland and then to Germany, Austria, Liechtenstein, Switzerland, and France. It was King James II who persecuted the Protestants who didn't want to have any part of the Anglican worship, which to them was just a warmed over Roman Catholicism. It's the same king who gave his approval for the, for the King James version of the Bible to, to ha have that be translated. And for that, we're eternally grateful to him. But it was under him that people fled from England to the, to, uh, the continent. And there was only one country, one country that would open their doors to persecuted people, and that was Holland. If I were of Dutch ancestry, I'd be very proud of my first king, King William of Orange, who's buried in that big church in Leiden where the Pilgrim Fathers worshiped. But he had come to know Jesus Christ through reading in the Bible and became an ardent Calvinist doing that. The whole story of our founding through that first permanent English set settlement in North America was documented by William Bradford. Some of you may have read his history of Plymouth Plantation. He said, there are some godly and zealous preachers. They became enlightened by the word of God. Presently, they were both scoffed and scorned by the profane multitude, whose hearts the Lord had touched with heavenly zeal for his truth. They shook, shook off the yoke of anti-Christian bondage and uh, as the Lord's free people joined themselves by a covenant of the Lord into a church, a state, in the fellowship of the gospel to walk in all his ways, make known or to be made known unto them. 
the congregation that came from northern England to Holland. Whatsoever it should cost them, the Lord assisting them. And it cost them something this ensuing history will declare. So in 1608, that congregation, and the first time they tried to go to Holland, the captain um, betrayed them to the king's henchmen. They were jailed and then miraculously, they were all let out of jail and they made another attempt to, to escape. It is incredible to, to understand that it took them two weeks for that journey. What takes us just one night from 10 o'clock in the evening till five o'clock in the morning. It seems as though Satan knew that something uh, tremendous was going to happen with that congregation. But they finally made it to Amsterdam, and then they moved to Leiden, where they spent 12, actually 11 years. And their pastor, John Robinson, who had studied at Cambridge University at the feet of men who had studied in Geneva under John Kelvin, had a prayer meeting with them on the shore, then on the deck of the Mayflower, and uh, then the Mayflower sailed. When, how many years ago was that? Exactly 400, right? Did you see that beautiful postage stamp that's out now since the middle of September? You should really get it. Normally the American stamps are not that picturesque, but they have a beautiful postage stamp out, a forever stamp of the Mayflower in, in uh, Plymouth Harbor. It took them 66 days to cross the ocean, what now takes eight hours from Chicago to Frankfurt. I'm very upset with my German home country. They don't let me over there this summer. They don't let anybody over there. I wrote to the German consulate in, in Chicago and to talk with them on the phone. I said, look, for 54 summers in a row, I've had meetings in Germany in churches. And those pastors wanted to know if I can come this summer. They wanted to see if they can keep the dates. And they wrote back a couple times. That is reason enough. If I were an athlete or a musician, they'd let me over there, but uh, someone who preaches, someone who teaches, gives like, no. Anyway, one of these days they'll open up the country again. Uh, when the Mayflower Pilgrims first sighted land, it wasn't at all Northern Virginia to which they had hoped to sail, but it was uh, the C Cape Cod way up north. And even in that strong midwinter storm in 1620, they saw the hand of God pushing them up there, and they signed before they left the Mayflower. They drafted and signed the famous Mayflower Compact. Maybe way back when in your early school years you had to memorize the Mayflower Compact, but it starts with the name of God, and it ends with the name of God in the name of God, and then in the year of our Lord, 1620. And that small nucleus, as I said earlier, established the first permanent English colony in North America. Jamestown was started earlier, Roanoke was started, but they didn't last. They said, we've undertaken, why? To get rich quickly? This, what, no, for the glory of God. What else? The advancement of the Christian gospel and the honor of king and country this voyage. When they landed at Provincetown, 
they didn't find enough arable land, so they went to what is now Plymouth, and you know the rest of the story, they build up, build homes. Christmas time, 1620, a horrible New England winter. But what's the first building they put up? The first building was, well, it served a dual purpose as a fort. If you've been to Plymouth recently, they have a beautiful uh, facsimile built there. But in the fort, the lower story served as a meeting place. The main reason why they came, and that's the nucleus of the Mayflower Pilgrims, as I indicate, there were on the paragraph just above point 3b, there were sailors, soldiers, servants, and scoundrels, but there were also saints. And 35 of the, some 135 passengers were these pilgrims who then started the first permanent English colony in North America. Now, their charter is just almost identical to other charters. Virginia was not a religious colony, but even there, they said, we greatly commending and graciously accepting of their desires for the furtherance of so noble work, which may, by the providence of Almighty God, hereafter tend to the glory of his divine majesty in what? In propagating the Christian faith. And you can go to every early settlement in North America and find that as a testimony. That's what they wanted to do. So major premise based on Exodus 20 is you can see it in bold print, God will bless even remote descendants of godly people. Minor premise in bold, our nation more than any other nation was established by a group of godly men for God's glory, okay? Conclusion, because our nation's purpose was to, or the first settlements to worship God and to witness the Christian gospel, God is still blessing us. Okay, there's a promise in Exodus 20. If you believe in literal interpretation, God said he blessed for how many generations? A thousand. How, how long is a generation? In the Bible could be 100 years. Genesis 15 has 100 years or 20 years. Say 25 years, okay? So God promised if a nation begins well, He'll bless it for a thousand generations. 25,000 years. I don't believe the world will exist that long. I think the rapture is closer than most of us realize. But how many generations of God's blessings have we exhausted? 400 years divided by 25? 16, right? Check my math, okay? I'm a theologian, not a mathematician, but... but that sounds reasonable to me. Okay. So how many generations do we have left? A lot. 900 and if we only exhausted 16, 18, 400 years, take 400 years from 25,000, you have 24,600 years left. You say you're... You're dreaming, no, that's what the Bible says. And I didn't even say generations is plural. 
if it were singular. What I'm saying is God is still blessing us in part today, not because of what we are today, but because we, we are the only nation, as far as I can determine, that was started with the godly nucleus, with godly purposes like that. Not that they all were Christians, most of them were not, but the ones who laid the foundation for each of these settlements were believers. And they all said they wanted to make known the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had suffered much for their faith back in England. Okay, on our next page, we have reason number two, why God has blessed America. And that's based on a passage I think you all know Genesis 12, verse 3, where God said, I will bless him that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Okay? Major premise is, is clear enough. God will deal with nations in accordance with how they treat the nation of Israel. We had a very godly grandfather. Did you ever meet Herman Wolf? Ever? You met him in Germany. Here, okay, when he came. Uh -huh. My grandfather in Germany, with whom I lived before I left over there, told people that I wasn't born yet, as World War I was starting, he said, Hitler might as well give up on this war. He's lost it before he's ever begun it. Because as soon as Hitler got in in 1933, he smashed he had his goons smash the windows of Jewish stores, and then it got worse and worse and worse. Uh, not until two or three years ago when I was over there, one of the old timers who remembers my grandfather said, you know what he did? And then when he mentioned it, I, I vaguely remember that. He made a bet with the biggest Nazi in our town that Hitler would lose that war. And the interesting thing is, the Nazi actually kept his word. But he didn't have any money after the war was over and Hitler lost it. But he had something that was equal in value. You may laugh when I say that, but the, he said he gave us two wagon loads of sawdust. Sawdust. We didn't have any coal, any briquettes, any wood to, to, to heat our stoves with. We couldn't go out in the forest because all the trees were picked clean of the dead branches. You couldn't, you were forbidden from cutting no trees. So we had sawdust ovens. In our church, we had an oven there and an oven over there, and that heated the whole church. In our home, we just done one little thing. I can draw a picture, and you can build one if you want. Very, very efficient. And for two years, we were able to heat our home and our church because that man kept his promise. Okay, God said... I will treat a person or a nation with how they treat the chosen people. Now, our nation, as far as I can tell, is the only nation that never once had a governmentally organized persecution of the Jewish people. I know it's anti-Semitism here. You've talked with people who have it in for the Jewish people. Some time ago, the Moody Monthly, the inside cover, had this picture showing a Jewish rabbi in front of an open tomb and all the ancient, ancient empires who persecuted Israel are seen as pictured in mausoleums. Where are the mighty Egyptians? Where are the Persians? The Romans? 
the Babylonians. You don't have a, an American Board of Missions to the Babylonians or to the Assyrians, do you? There aren't any left, why? There are various reasons, but the main reason is they persecuted Israel. Remember 722? The northern kingdom was dragged into captivity by the Assyrians, and then three times Daniel was in that first deportation. They were taken to Babylon. Nazi fascism, the ancient Greeks, who's next? My guess would be the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, now, now Mother Russia, which is back on the, on the move to, to establish the old empire. It's regrettable what happened to the Jewish people in Europe. I have a book in German, of course, entitled The Jews in Germany, The History of a 2,000-Year-Old Tragedy. There's no reason why Germany should be free today, what they did to the Jewish people. Hitler and his henchmen tried to wipe them out. Has anybody been to one of the concentration camps in Europe? No? Ever you've been with me, Buchenwald, I think, we went, but how tragic. So Germany sure doesn't qualify for that promise. There's only one country that I know of that does, and that's our nation. <clears throat> There's a, another passage in the prophecy of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 30, verse 20. I will punish all that oppress them. So who has a comeuppance on earth today? Who keeps screaming death to Israel and death to America? Iran, right? And the present mufti who's in charge of the country, the religious leader, says the same as uh, Ahmadinejad did uh, a few years ago. Israel is a cancer of mankind they should be pushed into the Mediterranean Sea. It's going to be interesting to see what God is going to do to them because they, do, they say that and they do that. They're trying to build the atom bomb, as you know. And that's why President Trump backed out of that deal because they were on a 10-year track to build the atomic bomb. For what reason? Tel Aviv, Haifa, choose some three bombs and Israel's gone. You only have a country that's at its widest 65 miles and 120 miles long. Well, we remember how President Reagan showed his friendship to Israel. On page, let me see which page that is. I have a, a diagram, page six, to show what your tax dollar and, dollars and mine are doing. You say that's 1985. Can't you get any more recent article? Yes, I can. But it's the same each year. We support Israel, the United States, at the tune of $3.5 billion a year in economic and in military aid. I checked Evelyn's computer yesterday to refigure what I had figured some years ago. Okay. Every year now, and even under President Obama, we ratified a 10-year treaty that Israel would get that help over the next 10 years, three and a half billion a year. 
Of course, much of that goes to American industries who built weapons and whatever to, for Israel. But I figured out that would be $2,700 per Israeli. Actually, it's a little less now because there are more Israelis than ever. The, the population now is about 9 million, including the Israeli Arabs. And for, for Americans, it's not because we increased in population. It's $10.66 of your tax money and mine each year goes to Israel. I can't think of a better insurance policy. God said, if you help Israel, I will help you. Now, you say Israel is not very godly. Well, that's true. Only about 1% of the Israelis, or less than 1%, are believers. But when something happens in Israel, the United States always stops in. We are the ones that helped Israel just in recent years sign that peace treaty, right? They, with the United Arab Republic and, and uh, a couple other nations. I quote President Jimmy Carter back in 1978 when Israel turned 30 years old at the very bottom of page three. Former Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter echoed the sentiments of the United States government toward Israel in his congratulatory comments upon Israel's 30th anniversary as a nation. As the President of the United States, I can say without hesitation that we will support Israel not just for another 30 years, but for how long? What does it say? Forever. I like that. When Israel needs help, they have one friend. In the Yom Kippur War, when uh, 73, when they were taken off guard, when the Arab nations, five times they attacked them, but this time Israel was not prepared. If it hadn't been for American armed shipments to Israel to defend the country against the enemies, there would be, humanly speaking, no nation of Israel. And I'm glad this kind of help to Israel has continued especially under the present administration. The Jewish people never print the name God, so they leave the O out, so as not to take the name of God in vain, but in the, if you want to find a good uh, neutral news from Israel, up-to-date news, Google Arut Sheva, that means Channel 7, and they give you, every day give you news, not just about Israel, but the Near East, and even the United States. I don't know if you know, know that Mike Pompeo is a born-again Christian, and he said it correctly that maybe Israel, President Trump has come to Israel for such a time as this, as Queen Esther did back in the Old Testament. And then the Israelis are indebted to President Trump and the United States because he represents us to do what? To recognize Jerusalem as their capital. What could be more obvious than that? When did, Israel, when did Jerusalem become Israel's capital? 1000 BC, when Joab conquered, uh, David general conquered Jerusalem. David ruled for seven years from Hebron and then for 33 years from Jerusalem. And since then, Jerusalem's, and the Arabs said, you know, there's the capital of the Palestinians. There is no Palestinian state. 
there are people who lived there, and they were from Jordan and from the desert, the, uh, you know, but uh, President Trump recognized that section up there, the Golan Heights, east and northeast of the Dead Sea as, of the uh, Sea of Galilee, rather, as part of Israel, something that for 20-some years, uh, American presidents have said, well, yeah, it's Israel, but not really. And he's finally said, yeah, this is yours. The Arabs attacked Israel when Israel became a nation back in 1948, and uh, five times, as I mentioned, since then. And Israel needs that area to defend itself because the Jordanians used to have on the Golan Heights overlooking the Sea of Galilee, their guns position and, and the farmers around the Sea of Galilee and the fishermen were constantly under attack. So Israel is very grateful to what our current president has done. Okay, Genesis 12, verse three. God will treat a nation in accordance how they treat the nation of Israel. Minor premise. Our nation's history demonstrates that we have never been guilty of persecuting the Jews, but have helped them more than any other nation. Right? Right. When did our love relationship for Israel begin? It began with the first Baptist in America. Roger Williams came in 1631, and with his approval, the first Jewish synagogue was established. Some of you may have been there in Newport, Rhode Island. Has anybody seen the Toro Synagogue there? Have you been to Newport at all? All these mansions? The synagogue is near downtown. It's a, a historic, some years ago, I was asked to give a presentation on 200 years of Baptist friendship for Israel. And I called the rabbi, Rabbi Lewis in those days. And I said, I need some transparency. I have some pictures for transparency. He wants me to do PowerPoint, but I'm still with my transparencies. In Iowa, they say, Samson in his hair, Cobra in his transparencies, or his <laughs> overhead. But Rabbi Lewis, when I talked to him on the phone, recognized his indebtedness and that of the Jewish people to the Baptists. Roger Williams went to Europe and he told Oliver Cromwell to invite Jewish people back to England. And he said, you Jewish people come to North America and if you live in my settlements, you'll be safe. And that started our friendship for Israel. When I had the last tour group from the Midwest, a New England Heritage tour, um, we stopped there at the synagogue. They actually had it open normally, they have it closed, but they had a, a, another group of tourists there. And suddenly the alarms went off, ear split. They had a bomb alert, <laughs> so we had to evacuate for 15 minutes and then went back in. I don't know who would want to damage them, but the, the fact of the matter is the reason I think the main reason why God has blessed us and is blessing us is because we're kind to the Jewish people, okay? Another passage of scripture, and I need to watch the time carefully, is Genesis chapter 18. If you brought your Bibles, can you turn with me to Genesis 18? 
please. In Genesis 18, Abraham gives God a lesson in theology. He's trying to teach something to God. God comes down and says, I'll tell Abraham what I'm going to do. Because the cry, verse 21, of it is come unto me, and not if I will know. Because of their, verse 20, their sin is very grievous. And then in verse 25, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? <laughs> Abraham is telling God, aren't you a fair God? Of course he is. He's never unfair. And he feels that there are certainly 50 righteous people in Sodom. Okay? So God says, for 50 righteous people, I will not destroy it. Peradventure, there shall be 40, 45 in verse 28, 28b, and then there are 40 righteous people. There are 30. Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak once more. Peradventure, there shall be 20. And then he has him God down to 10. I don't know how God puts up with that. In, true to his Jewish nature, he starts to dicker with God. He's sure, he's sure there are 10 righteous people in Sodom because he goes away. How many righteous people were in Sodom? Just one, right? Lot. And you wouldn't guess that from the Old Testament narrative. You have to go to Second Peter to find out that he vexed his righteous soul from day to day. Okay, what's the principle? God is very reluctant to destroy a wicked place with many righteous people in it. Amen. Right? If he will not do it at the time of the flood, so he has removed Noah. I'm glad you have somebody by the name of Noah in this church. Good biblical name. And Samuel. God is very reluctant to destroy a wicked place with many righteous people. Okay? How many righteous people are in America? Back in 1976, when we celebrated our bicentennial, it was called the Year of the Evangelical. These are not my statistics, but from a missionary agency. They said America has approximately 88% of the world's born-again Christians. 90% of the world's Christian workers, 94% of the world's ordained pastors. I don't know how many Christians live in your neighborhood, but we live in a small town uh, northeast of Des Moines, Iowa, and we were so surprised when we first moved into town that a lot of people on our street and around the corner were born-again Christians, and that's neat. And in the Midwest, when I have the opportunity, almost every Sunday I get to speak in a small church of the small town. America is full of gospel-preaching churches. There, they say there are at least 7,000 fundamental churches in America, like yours. 7,000. You don't have that in Europe at all. In fact, on an average Sunday morning, the streets are empty. In Iowa, I don't know what the percentage of people attending church is 
here, but back in 86, it was 52%, maybe a few less now, uh, who attend church weekly. And then I have on page seven, a diagram that shows something interesting that the United States government at any given time has probably 10% of born-again Christians, whether it's the Senate or the House of Representatives. Of course, not all the Baptists are necessarily safe, but you have about 10% of born-again Christians. If the rapture occurred in Moscow today, that wouldn't make much of a difference in Politburo, would it? If the rapture occurred today in Washington, D.C., would be decimated. Our vice president would be gone, right? Our secretary of state would be gone. I'm not quite sure about the uh, spirituality of our president, but uh, Senator Charles Grassley, the fourth in line for the presidency from Iowa, is a born-again Christian. I've shared the platform in churches with him. So I still see God's hand upon America. We're not as Christian anymore as we used to be, but I still think there's a great deal of uh, Christianity left. You say, no, it's, it's an ungodly, if you look at the drugs and the pornography, the violence, all that, but you have to go to other countries and appreciate the difference between America and here. I come back to the United States from, I had the privilege of teaching in Argentina for a couple of weeks last summer, and you come back to the United, and the, the man at the, uh, where you show your passport says, welcome back home. They've never said that to me in Germany. They, they're, you know, barely recognize your being there. One, one thing I've noticed in America that I've never seen in Germany is when, we, when people go to restaurants, if they're Christians, they'll bow their head and thank the Lord for the food. That's what surprised my brother and his wife, and he brought another pastor and his wife who hadn't been to America. They said, what are these people doing coming out of the restaurant in uh, De Des Moines, Iowa, or Ankeny, Iowa, with a Bible under there? I said they probably had a, a Bible study early Saturday morning, and uh, then they watched this couple pray, and there's an old couple over here praying, and a family at a round table. I've never seen that in Germany until relatively recently, and I know I'm out of time, but I just want to share this with you. In Nuremberg, this is the train station. They totally renovated it inside, so the old facade is left standing. And they put up American restaurants Subway is down below. The uh, McDonald's is on this floor, and upstairs is the Burger King. Okay, one time I was up there just before taking the train somewhere, and I thought I'd have a quick drink and uh, a, a bite to eat because it's expensive to buy food on the train. So I went to the Burger King, and I took those pictures sometime afterward because I thought it may make an interesting illustration. Um, and I was sitting at the table over here and I watched a young lady sit down at this table. She put her tray of food down 
She bowed her head. I said, finally, somebody in Germany. Of course, when I go to the restaurant or my brother does, we, my relatives, we thank the Lord for the food. But I thought I would commend her for doing what she did. And so I put my tray over there, and then I went, walked past her. I said, I just want you to know that I appreciate the fact that you were saying grace for your food. She said, I wasn't praying for my food. I was just tired. <laughs> so I still have to find somebody in Germany other than my relative who prays the Lord for the food. In closing, one more reason why God has blessed America, and I can summarize that very easily. Because of Acts 17, 26, God has made of one blood all nations, and he's determined two things about each nation, among others. He's determined the times, 1776, our beginning, though the New York Times now has this, what, 1619 uh, history, revisionist history. And and God has determined the time of cessation of that nation. And then God determines the geographical uh, limits, the bounds of their habitation. Why is that? Because God has a special purpose for each nation. I don't know what his nation for Japan or Italy or Denmark is, and you don't find the United States mentioned in the Bible, but there seems to be at least a twofold purpose why God raised America. And that is, as this indicates, to be a lighthouse to the rest of the world. That's what our founding fathers all said. And secondly, to be a welcome to those who are persecuted elsewhere that come legally, right? Look at the first chart of Massachusetts. That's not just one settlement, but that's all of the colonies in Massachusetts, whereby our said people may be so religiously, peaceably, and and civilly governed as their good life and orderly conversation may win and incite the natives of the country to the knowledge and obedience of the only true God and Savior of mankind, and the Christian faith, which is what? Our royal intention. I don't know, I don't find that in any other um, country's past. Look at the seal of the Massachusetts Bay Company. What does the Indian say? with a sort of comic strip band out of his mouth. Let, let me turn on. What does he say? Come over and help us. Who said that? Seems to me I find that in the Bible somewhere. Old Testament or New Testament? <laughs> Acts 16, right? The Macedonian. And our founding fathers thought this is why God had raised up our nation. So, in conclusion, going to our last page. Why has God blessed America? Because of the genuine piety of our founding fathers. We're still benefiting from their godliness, the gracious promotion of the Jewish people because of the great preponderance 
of Christians. I think America will someday be judged, but not until and unless the believers have been removed, and that will be when, during the tribulation period. And then God has a grand purpose for America. The first two are the ones that I mentioned, but in recent years, we've seen that America is also the world's protect, protector of the Jews, and America is the promoter of world order. This world would be in a worse mess than it is now without the Americans helping out in this nation and that nation. So we live in a country that has been uniquely blessed of God, and we pray that it always will at least in a measure be godly, and as we'll see in the morning service, there are many things we can do to help our nation. Let's bow in prayer.